0: FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, FIS's Freight and Commodity podcast. It is Wednesday, the 28th of July in a uh, uncharacteristically sunny London after the deluge of rain that we've had recently. And we have a kind of bump a week in terms of the number of people we are pushing the technology to its limit. And having four locations of people remotely coming in uh, to try and discuss our main topic of the week this week, of course, is battery metals. But we are going to go and start with our usual main market news, indexes, looking at a little bit in depth uh, of those major markets that we cover here at FIS before going on to our major feature, looking at those battery metals in more detail. In depth. So, of course, we have myself, and we uh, have joining us Theo and Kerry. Usual lot. You know those uh, two fairly well after well, this is going to be sixty-five <laughs> weeks of 65 podcast.
1: Episodes. Yep, of listening to us.
0: Almost sick of our voices. It's been there so much. But uh, we have three special guests as well. We have Jack Nathan, head of Battery Metals here in London. Uh, Peter Hanna, the index manager at Fast Markets and Will Adams, the head of battery research also at FastMarket. So thank you to those three for for joining us today. So going into our kind of main news, what have we seen this week before going into those indexes? Well, the World Tourism Organization, yes, apparently it does exist, uh, announced that between January and May, international tourist arrivals were down 85% down on 2019 levels and 65% down on 2020. The U.S. is to keep COVID travel bans in place due to the concern over the growing spread of the Delta variant. Uh, Tunisia was thrown into turmoil after the country's president sacked the prime minister and suspended its parliament. Uh, the U.K. looked to remove China's CGN from its nuclear power projects as relations between the two countries soured further. Uh, the Tokyo Olympics began under a cloud of scandal and controversy. And the U.S. U-turned on the no mask requirement for fully vaccinated citizens due to the spread of that Delta Variant, but let's look at those uh, indexes and see what's happened in the main markets in terms of oil and products. These are Tuesday the 20th versus Tuesday the 27th. Uh, Brent, another big push on on Brent, and then also products uh, this week, same as last week, up 7.1% on Brent, closing 74.26, according to FIS marks. Uh, the point, the 3.5%, the high sulfur Rotterdam fuel, 393.30, closing up 6.2% sing 380 up 5.5 percent above 400 404 30 the 0.5 is the very low sulfur fuel oil uh, above 500 both again uh, 50739 up 5.1 percent on the rock and the sing up 4.5 percent five twenty five eighty nine 89 and the high fives marginal movements up 0.9 percent up on the rock 114 and sing high five up 1.7 percent to one. 22. Uh, Freak. Kerry, what are we seeing on those indexes there?
1: Well, the Cape Size 5 TC average finally seeing some positive action uh, up $2,809 or 9.6% to 31880 The Panamax 4 TC average, on the other hand, still drifting off. That's 29868 down 1196
0: or 3.8%. And Theo, what about the iron ore?
2: Uh, In the iron ore, we've had a correction from its dizzy heights the last couple of weeks. Uh, The plat 62% uh, yesterday settled at $200.45, which is down uh, $19.60 week on week. The fast market 65% index was at uh, $239.10, which is down $20.80. And the um, spread 65 a 62 was settled at $34.65, which is down $1.20 week on week.
0: Uh, finish off those indexes on the tankers, up 13.7% in TC2, 127.22 closing. TC5 down 1.6%, 88.57. T3C, the VLs, up 0.9%, 31.82, still hardly moving there. And TD25, been a movement, but the wrong way, downwards we go, 65.42 down 7.6%. And then looking again at the EU futures, that's the carbon price in the European market was 51.45 euros, and now 52.91, closing yesterday, up 2.8%. But let's go into a, kind of, a little overview of those main market movements, starting with you, Kerry, on the freight. Uh, what are we seeing a bit more in-depth of, of those markets?
1: Absolutely. Well, last week, I had said the cape size market was finally appearing to find some support after struggling all week in finding a floor. And indeed, it finished last week in a fairly spectacular fashion. Uh, we had a Friday surge on the indices. Saw the C5, that's the West Aussie-China iron ore route, jump up to the mid-13s per metric ton. Uh, C3 Brazil-China moved up to the mid-high 27s per metric ton by Monday, amid continuing concerns about a tightness of tonnage for those late August dates. Um, However, that optimism just couldn't be sustained, unfortunately. And yesterday we saw a sharp correction on the C5 in particular, with several vessels fixing sub-$13, one rumored down at $12.70 per metric ton. C3 also seems to have slipped just a touch, although the bid offer spreads are extremely wide there, keeping the activity fairly low. A sharp correction was the response on the paper. After making steady gains most of last week, the August traded down to a low of 33,250 yesterday before seeing a bounce this morning up to 35,750, according to FIS Live, putting it in line with levels this time last week, actually. Uh, Q4 is trading at 34900 this morning, again, just slightly above where we traded this time last week. The Panamax has had far less to celebrate in the past week, uh, despite the enduring strength on that P6 East Coast South America round. Activity on that route has been very limited so far this week, and the U.S. Gulf has also been keeping the, uh, the Atlantic subdued overall. The Pacific has been negative this week also, with a building tonnage list, a noticeable lack of cargo. On paper, we saw sharp sell-offs yesterday with August trading down to uh, a low of uh, high twenty-eight and back, back up to 29,325 this morning, nearly 3,000 down on last week. Well, or ist- is currently trading 26,975.
0: Cool. Thank you, Kerry. And then moving on to oil and products, um, we continue to see that recovery after what we saw um, moving off the, the- well, the week before that, we after the news on OPEC, we've we had below seventy dollars for a time period uh, just before we recorded that last podcast, but recovering now to above seventy into those mid seventies, uh, much more healthy levels after that kind of a little bit of a shock. Um, fuel has followed suit with uh, kind of rising crude prices and has moved up around about twenty five bucks across the board. That's both high sulfur and, and low sulfur. Uh, small increases on on the high fives again. And we noted we did have a period where it started to kind of retrace. Uh, backwards towards those 100 levels uh, but again continuing on that trend that we had for week after week after week of marginal gains every single time uh, 114 on the 122 closing on the thing um, but that after that kind of news of OPEC going to be increasing their production we had all those problems of then throwing in the problem of the the delta variant and concern about the actual opening up of a world economy again but it seems that that kind of has been put to rest a bit and we have settled again back in those mid 70s, probably waiting for a kind of a bit more news about where this is going to be going again. It seems we've stuck on that level uh, until we're going to be kind of opening more and we see the kind of impact of the Delta variant and how countries like uh, the guinea pig that is the UK does uh, in terms of opening up all restrictions with a fairly high level of vaccination uh Investors, to note, pulled out around about a net $128.7 million from the world's largest oil exchange traded fund, uh, mainly off the back of what's happening with the Delta variant and has slowed that kind of movement of the oil rally back from below those $70 levels. And that kind of withdrawal on Monday has marked the biggest decrease since October for the kind of United States oil fund. So definitely something to watch where they're going. But we seem to have reduced back to those levels where we were kind of hovering three, three weeks or so ago. Uh, And again, we're just waiting for what's going to be happening on that. But uh, fairly strong movements up the last couple of weeks to kind of bring back from those levels where we fell off on. But uh, to finish off with iron ore before going into battery metals, uh, Theo, what we have seen on those markets?
2: Okay, guys. Um, well, as we've seen a downturn in the indexes in the last week or so, my focus again will probably be on uh, the virtual steel mill margins because I think that's where the value is. Looking at this market, um, last week it we reached over 1,300 RMB per ton for that for the uh, mill margin. We actually reached a uh, 1,376 RMB per ton last week, which is the highest we've seen, well, the second highest we've seen this year, and that's uh, remained pretty high. And even today, we're at 1,200 RMB per ton for the steel mill margin. I mean, high steel margins does, does still support iron ore prices and especially the levels of the high grade iron ore, which is why we're still seeing that spread between the 65 and the 62 remaining around the, the mid 30 mark. I mean, when it, sits, when it falls to about $30 per US dollar, it seems to be a buy signal for the market because fundamentally we are seeing the support around these prices and the index around 200 for the 62%. As we have seen supply issues from some of the majors like BHP has announced a maintenance period at Port Hedland. Bale's saying their new projects are going to experience delays. Anglo has decreased iron ore sales due to rail restrictions and Rio Tinto continues to, to experience delays in their deliveries as I've been mentioning in the last couple of weeks. So as a result, the, um, the iron ore arrivals into ports in China had decreased week on week. Um, so taking a look at what remains for the rest of the year, it looks like China is serious about the steel production reductions and they're saying that they, want, they do not want a increase in steel production from the 2020 figures and this would mean a slowdown in the mill production. But uh, that that in numbers would mean that China will be facing a potential 50 million tonnes of uh, steel cuts on production, which if you do the numbers would would be about a $96 million decrease in demand for iron ore this although i still believe there's not justified decrease in the iron ore price simply because the higher grade would mean higher quality um, coming out of the out of china's production so maybe now continue looking at these iron ore um sorry these steel mill margins thought over 1000 dollars a ton is probably very justifiable and probably going to be here for quite a while
0: Cool. thank you theo but of course to move on to our main market of this week is looking at those battery metals and specifically probably more looking at the cobalt and lithium side uh, probably touch on a couple of other metals going but shamelessly let's start with the FIS side and, and Jack and I don't know if that kind of outline this is a fairly new market for FIS fairly new market in financial markets and something which we've been working on for a little while kind of what, where will we start and where are we in terms of of breaking that at the moment yeah
3: absolutely uh, this is a new market not only to us as a company, but also to the wider financial services markets. Um, This was really born out of the need for those in the battery metal supply chain to uh, hedge their um, exposure to price risk all along that chain, Um, particularly because the components within that are subject to quite wild price swings, um, which have a real impact on the ability to forecast um kind of long term we partnered up with cme and fast markets to really push and develop these markets and have been doing so since their inception well since cobalt's inception back in december and more recently the uh, lithium
0: and peter to bring you into it a lot of these metals we have been talking about there's all this chat about electric vehicles and the role in going into the kind of green green economy and changes but specifically on this. What makes kind of lithium and the cobalt the ones that I guess we're going to be focusing on today particularly interesting products?
4: Yeah, sure. First off, thanks for thanks a lot for inviting us back on the podcast. Um, I really enjoyed talking with you guys about iron ore a few weeks ago and yeah, buzzing now to talk some battery metals this time around. Um, but yeah, you're you're quite right, Chris. Um there are a lot of materials, a lot of metals um associated with this great electrification trend. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, for a lot of these materials, like uh, things like copper, iron, aluminium, for example, their use in batteries for electric vehicles are only ever really going to make up a a very small percentage of their broader applications. Um, So when it comes to a market perspective, Mm -hmm. the growth of the lithium-ion battery industry is much more game-changing, though, for a few specific products, um, namely the, the eponymous lithium, of course, um, cobalt also nickel um, and you might add graphite there too um, you know i don't want to oversimplify all of those products also have you know many other uh, use cases and applications uh, existing before this uh, big ev uh, trend but it is much more of a, a big chunk of their their overall demand uh, that will be going into to batteries and i guess from a pricing perspective as well um, other than nickel which is already more established with the LME physical contract, Um, many of these markets are also less mature, they're undergoing uh, quite a rapid uh, development, we've seen things as as Jack just said, you know, with the launch of cash settled futures markets for cobalt and lithium being a good example of of what's going on, Um, so for us, these two products, lithium and cobalt in particular are really exciting markets to be watching evolve (laughs) right now um, from a pricing and general kind of market infrastructure perspective.
1: Yeah, Peter, I mean, one of the things that uh, struck me is that, you know, obviously the, the, the narrative here around this, as you say, um, it, whether or not it deserves to be, is it almost entirely around the ESG story and the EV batteries. I mean, for those of us that did sort of wishy-washy arts and humanities degrees and uh, and uh, and are not engineers, does, are, are you able to walk us through a little bit what the actual role of these different metals is in an EV battery?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably a good kind of scene setter to to start with that. Um, So the likes of lithium, cobalt and and nickel, um, these are what are called cathode materials. Um, An EV battery consists of a cathode that is made from some combination of lithium and other metals like nickel, manganese and cobalt. In the case of what they call the NCM cathode, Um, there's a lot of three letter acronyms in, in this industry, by the way. Um, An NCM cathode can then contain different proportions of those metals based on the configuration. So um, for example, a 622 cathode would be six parts nickel, two parts manganese and two parts cobalt. Um, An 811 would be eight parts nickel, one part manganese, one part cobalt. The lithium is kind (laughs) of implied there. Um, Another major cathode chemistry is lithium ion phosphate, um, LFP and a third major one would be nca nickel cobalt aluminium it's worth mentioning as well maybe we'll get into this a little bit later um understanding the trends in adoption of these different uh, cathode chemistries and configurations something really important when it comes to analyzing the current and future market dynamics of many of these battery raw materials but uh, alongside the cathode that's where you know most of these raw materials we're talking about uh, The EV battery also has an anode, which is mainly made from graphite. Um, It's got an electrolyte, which is a liquid solution, also containing some lithium, Um, and then a polymer separator. And as you you charge and discharge your electric vehicle, lithium ions, which are basically positively charged lithium atoms, are basically moving um, to and from the anode and the cathode. And that is the process that results in the storing and then releasing of electricity and makes your car go along
1: okay and
0: and will um do you want to just bring you in here talk about a bit more on those first two points anything there to, to add before we move on to the specific contract
5: yeah sure thank you um yeah i think the really important um point to to understand is that you know the battery raw materials are moving from relatively small markets into major markets and we're going to see exceptional strong sort of uh, year after year high compound average growth rates and i think that's going to be um, you know that's that's going to be driven by electric demand for electric vehicles and as electric vehicles become more mainstream but i think the other area to watch out for and not to underestimate is the sort of the demand that we're going to see for batteries uh, in energy storage as well. So as we as the world moves towards more and more renewable energy, um, whether it be solar or wind, we are going to need more um, energy storage to go hand in hand with that. Um, and I think the you know the whole of this rapid growth um, is going to be it's going to be a real challenge um, for the for the production side uh, to keep up. So yeah, some very exciting times ahead. Uh, and we've just seen you know, in the last year or so how fast things have started to uh, recover, especially on some of the prices as well.
0: So we'll have a couple of people who will be now listening to this going, hmm, I, I kind of understand the chemistry. I'm bringing out my A-level chemistry to understand a little bit what's going on. And I, I know I'm not going to be exposed to this. What specifically has been launched in terms of the, the contract, Peter? Uh, what is out there that people can currently trade? Sure,
4: yeah. So um, there's been developments on both uh, lithium and cobalt in, in terms of new contracts. Um, the, the, in, on the lithium side, um, we've seen the CME launch a lithium hydroxide contract in May this year. Um, the LME launched one um, just a week and a half ago, um, but they have been working with the, the industry on its development for a good couple of years before that. Um, both of those contracts uh, for lithium cash settle against the fast markets CIF uh, China Japan Korea hydroxide price. The CME one has seen some initial trade. The LME one not quite yet, um, but it's, it's still very you know, super early days for for both of these. Um, I think the key thing is that it was a it's been a good decision to launch these contracts at this nice early stage um, as the lithium market is gradually transitioning to a a spot-based pricing mechanism and the, the provision of these venues and
1: tools for risk management really help uh, to, to facilitate that evolution. Well, exactly. And, and I think especially when you consider what we've seen happen so far on those cobalt volumes, right? Because as, as Jack has mentioned, you know those cobalt volumes have been pretty spectacular. We've seen growth, I believe you mentioned open interest is uh, what, up to 1,750 tons now, Jack?
3: That's correct, yeah. We blasted through the 1,000-ton open interest um, relatively quickly and then up into the high teens. Um, we've been around the 1,700, just, oh uh, yeah, 1,750 uh, open interest for a couple of weeks now. Um, prices got fairly toppy, um, so we've seen the liquidity dry up a touch as it stands. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it'll be very long until we're straight through the 2000 open interest month. Yeah, sorry, guys,
4: I forgot to uh, to mention the cobalt contracts there. So that's, um, yeah, as Jack said, you know, going the right direction in terms of open interest. I think that uh, 1750 uh, tonnes of open interest corresponds to something like 100, uh, $100 million dollars of notional value um, has yeah. been pretty positive and encouraging to see is that liquidity spreading out along the forward curve and not just Kind of clustering in the in the uh, front months, as is quite normal for a nascent contract. But uh, in this uh, CME cobalt, we've seen around 45% on volume on 2021 contracts, 40% on 2022 contracts, and about 15% all the way out to to 2023.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's positive that the interest runs that far along the forward curve. Uh, we're also starting to see more interest picking up on the front end, um, which is good for some market participants that are quite keen to have an an active spot month, um, easier to chop in and out of. Um, But there's also quite a lot of impetus for this contract to go even further out into the Cal 24s. Um, So for these physical guys with long-term contracts, it it just facilitates much easier hedging.
0: So we've touched on this being a new market and i wanted to kind of jump on to ask peter and will you know, what has been the kind of driving factors between the development of these new markets because it's quite difficult to get all these new markets up to have what we've just discussed about can those people trade more deferred dates but what's been behind that so it's it's really down to the extremely rapid demand growth
4: trajectory of these markets that is tied to the um the, the the EV and energy storage trend um, has shaken up these markets, led to much larger and more dynamic um, supply and demand swings, more volatile prices, and and therefore uh, need for market-based pricing mechanisms, and then corresponding tools for for risk management. But Will, I think you're probably the the better person to really break down the supply-demand picture a bit and and outline some of the numbers involved and and what's driven the need for, for this market to develop in the way it has.
5: Yes, yeah, certainly. The, I mean, the, the biggest driving force has been the sort of the uptake of electric vehicles. Um, that, that started in China. Um, we saw in sort of, if you'd asked in 2018, you know, China was the main market for EVs. Um, we then saw as a response to sort of the COVID and the government's incentives um, to restart the economies after the sort of the COVID hit last year, we saw a very strong emergence of the EV market in Europe. Um, so in 2019, uh, Europe um, saw sort of half a million EVs sold. Um, already in the first half of this year, we've seen sort of 900,000. Uh, so that's moved up to 900,000. Um, and in China, we've seen in the first half of this year, we've seen sort of one, uh, 1. 1.2 million EVs uh, sold. Uh, And that's almost um, matching the number sold or the whole of last year. And I think you know, back in 2019, as I said, the European market was about half a million uh, EVs. China at that time was about 1.2 million. So the fact that Europe now is sort of 900,000 compared with uh, in the first half compared with 1.2 just shows how fast Europe has picked up. And we've also now with um, US President Biden uh, at the helm um, that is that has changed the sort of the outlook for the uh, the US market and their uptake of EVs. So I think from if you again if you sort of if we'd been looking at it in 2018 we'd have really seen it as sort of one engine of growth that being China. Um, we now have Europe and um, we think sort of the US will c- gather pace as well. So you know we've got a very strong demand outlook uh, which is really accelerating and I think that's going to you know continue to surprise us on the upside. And this, as I mentioned sort of earlier, this rapid growth, um, the whole supply chain is going to have to um, um, grow fast as well. And having uh, a transparent price and uh, a facility to be able to uh, manage that risk is going to be very important. It will enable sort of the middle parts of the supply chain to do their job of sort of making cathode material or making batteries without having to worry about the sort of the, the inherent price risk if they can if they can hedge their risk then um, that will help facilitate the, the move forward
1: absolutely absolutely and i think you know what we see from our end as well is uh, is just a huge amount of interest in the narrative around this obviously the narrative this year around everything esg has attracted Uh, a vast amount of investment, but we see a number of financial players, for example, looking at this as well, saying, look, this is going to be a very interesting market to be involved in.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. I think a lot of um, participants in the market look at cobalt and lithium and to some extent nickel as well um, as a proxy for getting long, the ev story as a package um which is something we're starting to see more and more of
0: and then talking this back to uh a shameless self plug as well we had your colleagues uh, your colleague uh, charlotte radford on our podcast in uh, february 21 if you can remember for back that far and anyone wanted to uh have an initial podcast uh, specifically on on cobot, can dive back into the back catalogs of the podcast and and see and listen to that one but um uh will i don't know if you want to kind of give us a bit of a uh, an outline of what's happened in terms of price movements since we had that podcast on kind of february 21 and and i guess a little bit perhaps of where we're seeing things looking looking forward
5: yeah sure um so on on the Cobalt, if we're looking at sort of uh, the standard grade metal price we started the year at around sort of 15 50 sort of dollars um we've that's sorry fifteen fifty dollars fifteen fifty dollars per pound um and now we're sort of trading up at around the sort of the twenty four and a half dollars per pound um and in recent uh we've, it slowed down in sort of April time and started to consolidate a little bit and I think what we'd seen earlier on in the year was a lot of sort of restocking uh sort of driving that price higher uh we've then seen a period of um sort of destocking uh, but now we've started to see sort of uh, prices uh, sort of move move up again in, in recent weeks uh, and I think that is you know there are a number of reasons for that one is that you know you de- you can only destock for so long um, and then you need to come the consumers need to come back but I think there are also con- continuing concerns um, about uh, the supply coming out of southern Africa so 70 percent of cobalt is produced in the democratic republic of the Congo um, and it has to be shipped through South Africa um, before it sort of heads uh, towards uh, China so one you know the new variant of Covid the delta variant does seem to be having a bigger impact uh, on some of the areas that sort of managed to not be too affected in the sort of the first couple of waves Um, so there is a concern that that could affect the actual mining in the DRC Um, what we saw last year on the supply side was mining wasn't really affected but the um, the shipments of cobalt were affected Um, and again earlier on earlier on in the month we've seen sort of unrest civil unrest in South Africa and that disrupted supplies as well so I think that's sort of those are the factors um, you know we think think the cobalt market is fairly balanced at the moment but there are delays in the in the logistics and I think that is underpinning uh underpinning the prices um and if we're looking at lithium similar sort of story um we saw probably just need to go back to 2016 2018 when um we had very high prices in 2000 during that period certainly in 2018 we saw a lot of new supply come on stream in south africa sorry in, in australia um, and that, sort of, that combined with the slowdown in demand we saw in the second half of 2019, um, because China changed the subsidies, those two effects sort of combined to sort of send lithium prices down uh, to unsustainable lows last year. Um, but we then started to see some production cutbacks in uh, sort of October time last year. And that was really the sort of the signal for the market to, um, uh, to bottom out we then saw some restocking coming in and then we've seen you know a very rapid rise in lithium prices uh since the sort of the uh, fourth quarter first of all we saw that in the carbonate in carbonate price in china and then uh later on uh this year we've seen it in the sort of the um the sif china japan korea market as well so for um so year to date changes we've seen Lithium carbonate prices up 78% in China. Um, We've seen hydroxide prices in China up about 107%. And in the SIF market, we've seen carbonate up 125% and hydroxide up about 72%. I think one of the really interesting things is the the dynamics of the market. Um, A lot of the Chinese market has relied on the spot market. whereas the SIF market has tended to be on sort of longer term contracts. So one of the things we've seen is the, um, the, the, because of the Chinese market's ride on the SIF on the spot market um, and the SIF market on long term contracts, a lot of the capacity was tied up and sold on long term contracts from China to into sort of Korea and Japan. And that led to a shortage in the um, Chinese spot market. And that's why we've seen such sharp rises of 125% for hydroxide in China. So some, yes, yeah, some, some really powerful moves. Um, but we have prices do seem to have sort of slowed down a little bit on lithium. Um, again, we think that's as the market starts to destock
4: Well, it might just be worth uh, breaking down a little bit for for the podcast listeners. Kind of first of all, how lithium's priced, how those kind of pricing practices are changing, and then also. Um, uh, the kind of differences between uh, the market dynamics of, of carbon and hydroxide. So I, I just want to kind of give a bit of background explanation uh, around uh, the way lithium pricing is a, is a pretty rapidly evolving picture. Um, you know, first off, it's, it's worth appreciating that lithium is a very complex, complicated market. Traded lithium comes in various different compounds, uh, the most significant for the battery industry being uh, carbonate and hydroxide. And then within those, you've got different grades. Um, the most high level distinction is between battery grade and technical and industrial grade. But even within the battery grade segment, there's various um, you know, variations in chemistry, even at a trace level that can Im- impact performance and, and hence price. Um, and for all these reasons, lithium has tended to be regarded as more of a specialty chemical uh, historically than a, than a true commodity um, and It's historically been traded on very long-term contracts, as as Will said, at a negotiated fixed price uh, basis. Um, But over the past few years, those contracts have been shortening duration um, and prices getting negotiated more frequently. Um, And what we're seeing now is increasingly as the market evolves, despite its inherent challenges, um, the kind of spot prices that are being assessed by PRAs like Fast Markets um are becoming more regularly adopted as the settlement basis for physical contracts. Um, that's not to say there's ever going to be a one single price for the lithium market, um, but the the emergence of certain prominence bench, prominent benchmarks for key grades and inco terms um, that you know premiums and discounts can be negotiated around is going to be a you know something important for the the industry's development. and it's another kind of um, you know this evolution in physical pricing. Is another key factor driving the need for futures contracts, as as the physical market players are more exposed to spot-linked market-linked prices. Um, well, do you want to give a bit of background on the the carbonate hydroxide uh, dynamic?
5: Yes, certainly. So, um, the carbonate is used um, extensively. Uh, in, if we're looking at sort of the EV batteries, it tends to be used for the lithium-ion phosphate batteries um, and the hydroxide is used for the nickel rich the higher grades uh, nickel rich NCM batteries um, with the lower um, nickel content NCM batteries uh, using uh, lithium carbonate um, and we see the sort of the what we've I mean I think they're what if Again, if you look back a year ago, probably people thought there'd be a, mu- a much stronger move towards lithium hydroxide and carbonate would be sort of become, would take less market share. But what we have seen in recent, over the last year or so, um, is a is a sort of resurgence in demand for lithium ion phosphate um, batteries. And that's that was initially um, a sort of had a second sort of resurgence in China. But we've also seen some of the Western uh, OEMs, also say that they will use LFP batteries in some of their uh, entry-level vehicles or some of their standard range vehicles. Um, so that's given sort of uh, lithium carbonate another, sort of another boost. Um, but we, den- we tend to think that um, NCM, the high nickel NCM batteries, uh, will continue to be, uh, you know, grow market share um, later on as people uh, want the high energy density. So the more nickel there is in a battery, the higher the energy density um and that's why we're seeing sort of the the move from ncm 111 up to 811 um with as peter mentioned earlier on so higher nickel less cobalt and less manganese and the cobalt plays a very important part in the battery though because it helps to um keep the battery uh, stable
1: uh, and that's uh, that's an important factor and that's why we and do that's think- quite that's quite useful yeah given um given some of the incidents we've seen um <laughs> With uh, with fiery exploding cars and whatnot, so yeah, that's right. And I think you know the so the eight
5: one one batteries um, are you know they, they although they have the higher energy density, they are they need more complicated battery management systems uh, to keep them safe. Um, so we do think cobalt is going to remain an important part, even though some of the um, OEMs are talking about getting rid of cobalt from the battery. Um, we still think that the cobalt will remain an important part of the, uh, of, for the batteries for um, EVs and for energy storage systems.
0: But picking up on that point, Will, um, looking forward, you've, to be the uh, bringer of doomsday news articles of random things that you've seen thrown through on, uh, on LinkedIn, we're looking at the kind of future of these metals and with the exponential growth of EV, the push towards green products, and some of these people uh, you're saying these companies moving perhaps away from cobalt as a somewhat politically sensitive commodity. What does that kind of outlook look like for all these battery metals and the the ability for actually to to have enough to to, to match all this demand to to get us to that stage where we can all drive electric cars?
5: Yeah, I mean this is a big a big topic and it's it's moving all the time it's it's dynamic. Um, you know there are concerns that they're not going to be. Enough There's no shortage of lithium, but there are concerns that there won't be enough lithium um, available in a sort of timely manner. Um, And I think that, you know, the downturn we saw in prices in 2019 and 20 certainly put on hold a lot of the investment in the sort of the upstream part of the supply chain. But we are seeing more and more investment now coming into that. Part of the supply chain, and we need to see a lot more as well. But there are the projects there. when I mean, We can, I mean, we think we'll, you know, be needing probably uh, just over one so 1.1 million tons of um, lithium uh, carbonate equivalent by 2025. We can see where those sort of that amount of lithium can come from, um, but it will need a lot of investment and a lot of sort of final investment decisions to be made. Um, you know, going. I mean, now and going forward. So um and then you know but we're not just talking about 2025 the whole of this evolution is we've got decades of growth so as i said at the start it's going to take um it's going to be a real challenge for the supply chain to keep on top of this um but we think you know we think there it is possible that there will be you know enough lithium but we do think the market will uh predominantly be tight um and you know at the moment we've got lithium prices where they are above the incentive price so there's every good reason uh, for investment to come in, and now that we have sort of um, the risk management potential as well, that should also help um, get the investment into the upstream part of the supply chain. Um, for cobalt, you know, I think one of the people are concerned about cobalt uh, that the you know, and the message that sort of the OEMs are giving to the to the producers by saying you know we're going to get rid of cobalt, you know, it doesn't help the sort of the 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 miners. Um, make that decision of whether to invest in in new capacity but they are making that they are making those investments uh, and i think we'll get to the state one of the really important things and you know and de- that will de-risk the cobalt supply chain but we are looking sort of further forward is that you should i think we should look at cobalt ill that it will become a very much circular economy the batteries at the end of their life will be recycled. And we'll get to the stage in cobalt, like we are in in lead acid batteries, which is what you know. Again, it's a it's a product that people don't like. They don't like lead, but in it, it's such a good product for for the lead acid batteries, and it's it's you know ninety nine percent recycled in Europe and places. And I think we will get to that sort of stage in cobalt as well. So longer term, the more that as this market grows, there will be you will be less dependent on places like the DRC, and you know the the cobalt from the batteries in Europe will stay and they'll be recycled same in the US and same everywhere in the world. So I think it's just we're sort of going through this sort of phase and we've got to get the cobalt to get up to the the stage where we have enough cobalt for the batteries and then it'll be quite a good circular economy. And just one other point on the nickel, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, how can investors get involved in it? It's really interesting. If you go back a few years, nickels had some really strong rallies and a lot of those have been driven by this sort of whole battery, uh, lithium-ion battery idea um and because it was the only metal that could really be traded on an exchange um so i think we will see more investment coming into into lithium and cobalt from the investment side through the exchanges as well
0: a really exciting future to look forward to for for all these products and it's going to take several other podcasts of us over the next year <laughs> or so to uh keep track of all the changing environment uh, going forward with uh, you know a metal which in essence these are going to be ones which uh could save the planet, ironically, after some of the, the the mining digging out the planet to save the planet. But bringing this back to, to trading and uh, kind of last few points from, from Jack before we finish for this week, this is something which we've developed at FIS and got loads of participants in, and there's loads of opportunities here for them, isn't there, to trade this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been working really, really hard on deepening and diversifying um, our client pool here. Um, and this product's still very much in its infancy is no longer just for pure hedging um, the physical side for these guys hedging their LTCs. We now have spec money moving in to Cobalt. Um, People that love the EV story, sustainability, very bullish on the whole suite. Um, As I touched on earlier, these guys coming in, getting along the contract, using it as a proxy. Um, The more we have of that, the quicker this market is going to mature. Exactly, exactly.
0: And I think that we could probably talk about this all day and I probably prefer that than doing any other work that I have left to do today. But um, as we come up to a fairly decent chunk of a podcast, uh, I think we're gonna have to call it an end for this week, but uh, definitely very keen to have Peter and you will back to talk again about these these products. Uh, but very much uh, a big thank you from from us for coming back on again, and uh, hopefully you'll become regular uh, participants on the podcast. But uh, thank you for again, and Theo and Kerry, our usual participants. Thank you for bringing in your, your wisdom, although briefer on our main products. We have to be back to longer form, <laughs> next week. and of course to uh, Jack, our head of batch metals here. And if anyone wants any more information specifically on on the trading element of it, then you can do get in touch. Uh, with him, Jack N. at freightinvestor.com, and anything specifically questions on the index and, and pricing mechanisms, then of course, do get in touch with Peter and Will. But uh, just a big thank you to everyone again for me and to everyone listening. Hopefully, see you again next week.